Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. We're about to embark on a journey, folks. This is the series that we're starting this morning. This is kind of like the, the vestibule, you know, or, or the, you know, we're, we're just in the I don't know, the cabin getting ready to, to hike the mountain. You know, we're going on a journey. And so uh, this, is, this, is, this series that, that, that Dennis and I are about to embark on is called Radical Growth, based on a book by uh, Miles Stanford called Principles of Spiritual Growth. And, and so this is um, a series on how God grows us into the image of Christ. And so... It's, this sermon is called The Journey Begins. The Journey Begins. And I am so excited to get started on this journey. So I, I just want to say that, um, let, me, let me show you something here, just as, as, as we get into this. First of all, let me tell you a story. There was, there was, there was a dog and a cat, and they lived in the same house. They, they lived in this house, uh, this couple, they were a young couple, they hadn't had children yet, and they... Um, uh, they just love this dog and cat. And uh, one day the, they were gone. They had just left for work. And, and the dog walked through the, uh, the kitchen and the cat's laying up on the kitchen counter looking down at the dog. And the dog says, you know, these humans, they, they love me. They, they feed me. They give me. They give me a nice warm place to live. They must be God. And the cat looked down and just shook his head and smirked, and he thought to himself, he's like, that stupid dog. He's like, these humans, they love me. They, they feed me really good food every day. And they, they've given me this beautiful home to live in. I must be God. <laughs> Difference between dogs and cats. <laughs> But you know, there's something I want to point out about that. The cat was defining itself by how it was treated. It saw itself very differently than that stupid dog down on the floor. In its exalted state, it looked at itself as God. I must be God. I was listening, we were listening to a, a, a really uh, great Christian speaker, Putty Putman. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago in the School of Kingdom Ministry, and, and Putty made a comment. He said, you know, we tend to think about pride as being like thinking too highly of ourselves. That's pride. We just think too highly of ourselves like the cat on the counter. I must be God. And then we, we think of humility as somewhere below that, but not thinking too lowly of ourselves. So somewhere in that you know, range between thinking too highly of ourselves and thinking too, too lowly of ourselves, there's on that meter, there's somewhere in there, we hit the right place, just the right place where we think just the right thing about ourselves and we think highly of God and, and, and you know, we, we just don't think too highly of ourselves and that's humility. And he said, you know, that, that's a hard mark to hit. He's like, how do you know, you know, he said, it totally misses the point. He said, that's not what pride and humility is at all. Well, I mean, yeah, you can think too highly of yourself, and that's pride. But he said that's not really the point. He said the, 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 the essence of pride is defining ourselves. 
you understand? The essence of pride is determining in our own minds and hearts what we are, who we are, why we are. And humility is letting God do that. So God defines who we are. God defines what we are. God defines why we are. And so as we, as we begin this journey, what I'm so excited about is that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find out just who we are, just how God sees us. We're going we're gonna to understand why we're here. We're going to understand how God is working in our lives. So we're going to understand a lot about ourselves that we don't know. We're going to understand how God sees us and what his plans and purposes are for us. And I want to tell you right now, they're wonderful. And you are the focus of God's, you know, he's the, Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is a vine dresser and he fusses over the vines or the the branches. And we're the branches. God's attention, the father's attention is on the branches. Jesus' attention is staying connected with us. And so you and I are really super important to God. But we're also going to find out who God is and how he works in our lives and what he's up to. And so we're, we're embarking on this journey. So we are journeying together through the series. And it's going to be several weeks, several months, actually. It's going to probably cover about three months. But that's okay because it's really a wonderful journey. And I want to just say this. Our church is a church on a journey. And so I don't care where you are on the spectrum of not knowing Christ at all, not having a clue about who God is and who Jesus is and what, what you're here on this earth for, all the way to coming to Christ and having just crossed the line into salvation, into a relationship with it, all the way in mat- the maturity process where God has worked in your life, all the way up until you're pretty much conform to the image of Christ. And, and when people see you, they see Jesus. And that is a real live possibility, folks. In fact, that's what God is working for. If you don't hear me say anything else today, hear me say this. God is at work in you to conform you to the image of Christ and the likeness of Christ. I want to ask you a question. This is a $5 bill. Who is this right here? Abraham Lincoln. Somebody, somebody got it right, but this is not Abraham Lincoln. Who said image of Abraham Lincoln? Very good, Shane. Very good. I'll give you an A plus today. This is not Abraham Lincoln. It's an image of Abraham Lincoln, but when you look at this, you see, you think Abraham Lincoln. In fact, so much so that even though he's been dead for over 150 years or however long he's been dead, if he walked through that door right there, after you picked yourself up off the ground from fainting from seeing a dead person come to life, you would recognize Abraham Lincoln. You would just know him because you've seen his image. You and I were created in the image and likeness of God. And so God meant when he created you and me for people to look at us and see him. That's why Jesus, when he came as the perfect human being, he is the most perfect, normal, uh, he's the human that we were supposed to be. And when he, when he was at the Last Supper, and I think it was Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, John said that, that he uh, came to reveal who God is. 
to show us the Father. And he did it by the way he lived and the way he acted and the way he talked and the way he loved and the way he healed and everything that he did. And he, he, so much so that he could say in this human body, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And by the way, just for a side note, his humanness took nothing away from his deity. You understand that? There is nothing about our... I hate when I hear people say, oh, I'm just human, as an excuse for sin or something. Being human means to be like God, in the image and likeness of God. And so, and so what God is doing... You, you know, our, our original parents screwed this thing up. When they sinned, they plunged us into sin and distorted our, our image, our likeness, and, and we started looking, the human race started looking a lot more like sin and Satan than it did like God. But he sent Jesus to straighten that out. And, and so, <laughs> praise God, it, it's, it's very clear in Scripture that God has sent his Spirit. He sent his Spirit to, uh, to conform us to the image of Christ. And I want to put up a, a, a scripture here, Galatians 4.19. This is how I feel, guys, right here. My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I long for Christ to be formed in us individually and corporately. And I want that for myself, too. I'm not satisfied. I told you this last week in the kind of the preface to Vision Sunday. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at yet. But I am in hot pursuit of, of being conformed to the image of Christ. I want to cooperate as much as I can with what God's doing to conform me to the image of Christ. And I want that for you as well. And so, um, let me just, one more scripture. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Hebrews 10.24 um, I just want to point something out here. It, it says right after that, don't forsake the assembling together. Some are in the habit of doing. So, so we need to be together, and we need to be encouraging each other on towards loving like Jesus and living like Jesus. Does that make sense? Because also in the, we're made in the image of God, but we're also made in the likeness of God. What, what is this? My hand. What is this? Okay. Let's say that this is Jesus and this is us. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to put himself in us, which he's done, by the way, if you belong to him, and then he wants to use you to do the things that he's doing. That's his purpose and plan. He's always wanted that. When he created human beings in, in the garden, or yeah, and he, that he put that dust together and formed it into Adam, and then he breathed his spirit into Adam, and then he commissioned him to go and, and rule the earth and to expand the garden of Eden throughout the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and to accomplish his purpose. God was going to accomplish his purposes through, through human beings. And that's still his plan. He wants to work through us to accomplish his purposes. So... This is Neil Haney, and Jesus has come into me, and right now he's talking to you through me. I know he is, because we've talked a lot about this sermon this last week, a lot. 
And uh, I drove to Central Illinois to, to uh, take my daughter's car back to her and pick up Deb's car. And on the way back, we talked for a couple of hours about the things that I'm talking to you about this morning. It's just so important to understand our purpose. And so our journey is going to lead into transformation from glory to glory until we look like Jesus. Now, I want to point this out. When you go on a journey, you need, now to start with, you need three things. First of all, you need a compass. This is our compass, guys. This, this is our compass, the Word of God. Everything that we're gonna, Dennis and I are going to talk about over the next several weeks is in this book. And I love the way Miles Stanford unpacks that, and we're going to unpack what Miles Stanford has said about this book. But this is our compass, okay? We also need a map. And so this book, uh, Radical Growth, um, every week uh, you, get the next in, you get the insert, the chapter for the following Sunday. So out on the tables out here, you have chapter one called Faith, and Dennis is preaching on faith next Sunday. So, so this is our roadmap. This is our compass. This is our map. These are $5. You can get them in the Welcome Center. I'm just going to, you know, be... Uh, uh, be you know like the money changer in the temple, but anyway, the, the, these are there at the welcome center. Five bucks, pick one up, and then get the inserts there there on the tables. You've got the you've got the preface, you've got the table of contents in chapter one, and go ahead and get one of these. So you need a map, and we're going to use a, a compass, and then you need a tour guide, like a you know someone on, that's going to guide you on the journey. That's Dennis and me. Now, let me quickly say, before it sounds like we think too highly of ourselves, Dennis and I are on the same journey you're on. We're just walking with you, ahead of you, maybe slightly ahead of you, because we've read the book, and I've read this book for the past 25 years, at least once a year, and I know the contents, and I know the, the I really understand the flow of the, of the growth process. And I'm not where I want to be but I'm on that journey, okay? And so, and so we're, we're going to be tour guides. So, you, so we have a compass, we have a, a map, and we have tour guides. And I, w- I want to quickly say that when Jesus comes into your heart, you get all of Jesus. You get all of Jesus. But you don't automatically start living like Jesus right away. This, this is an acorn, and if you put this acorn in the ground, out grows an oak tree. The oak tree is in the acorn. When Jesus comes into our hearts, he comes in like an acorn. <laughs> There's tremendous potential to become an oak of righteousness when Jesus comes into our hearts. But not everyone develops into that oak of righteousness because we're going to talk about in a moment cooperating but God, God's work in our hearts and our lives is to cr- grow this seed of Jesus in us into this mighty oak tree that's also producing other acorns. Does that make sense? So the, the, the oak tree's in the acorn, but we've, we've got to, you know, we've got to cooperate with what God's doing. So we're on a journey. We're journeying together. And uh, I'm so excited about this. The second point that I want to make this morning is that this is God's work. This is God's work. 
Did you know, as this may come as a surprise to some of you, but you cannot change yourself. You cannot make yourself any better or any different. Uh, you can only cooperate. That's my last point, but we're not there yet, but I'm, I'm spoiler alert, you know. But this work inside of you is God's work. This work to conform you to the image of Christ is God's work. And like I said, Jesus is already there, but he's conforming you to the image of Christ. Now, um, I, I want to I make clear something. One of the things that we think is that we're sinners and God wants to take our sinnerness and our, and our flesh and, and our old self and somehow remodel it and re, like, like the children's wing, we're, gonna ta- we're not going to tear that down and build something new. We're going to go in and we're going we're gonna to gut some of it and, and we're going to work on the interior. We're going to make it look nice, nicer. And, and that's, that's how some people think that God deals with us. That's not true. Um, first of all, <laughs> the human race was pretty messed up by the time Jesus got here. And God said, okay, I don't want to just completely destroy them and start over. But I want to do something close to that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to nail them to the cross with Jesus. And they're going to die. In, so we, we, we entered sin through the first Adam. He's going to deliver us from sin through the second Adam. And so he took all our sin and put it on Jesus, even though he was sinless. And then he put us in him. As the last Adam, and put sin back on the tree in Jesus, and then we were put on the tree with Jesus, and he died as us. He died for us, but he also died as us. Read it. It's in there. Romans 6, that's where he starts talking about the as us. The blood deals with sin. The cross deals with self. And that's where we died. And so he destroyed us in a sense because Jesus. it says in... in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But he was talking about the other night uh, about, he's like, imagine that you're brushing your teeth. You know, you're brushing your teeth, and all of a sudden, something happens, and the toothbrush slips out of your hand and falls into the commode. And it hadn't been flushed after it had been used. He said, there is no way on this earth, that I am going in there to get that toothbrush and somehow try to put enough bleach on it, boil it, to make it so I put it back in my mouth. He said, I am done with that toothbrush. He said, I might retrieve it so it doesn't stop up the commode, but I will not use that again in my mouth. And he's like, that's the human race. That's what's happened. We were so bad. We were so stained that basically we had to be discarded. They, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. That toothbrush is in the trash can. Commode's flushed, cleaned out, everything, but no more, t- not using that thing again. New toothbrush. You and I are new creations, new creatures in Christ. We died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him, and now we're new. But we still have some things to deal with. There's still some things... In, in our flesh that, that, you know, we still have those neuropathways that need to be healed. Uh, you know, I, and so um, one of the scriptures that I, I love to use as I'm talking about this is, um, is Hebrews 10, 14. 
We just put that up. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Well, if you've been made perfect forever, why are you being made holy? Our spirits have been united with Christ's spirit, and our spirits are perfect forever. I've said this before, I know, and you'll hear me say it again. But the Holy Spirit is within us working on our souls to renew our minds, to, to help us surrender our wills, and to heal our emotions. And so there's some work that God has to do. We, we come into the kingdom as baby Christians. We come into the kingdom in acorn form. Christ is in us, but we want to see the oak tree fully grown producing other acorns. And so that's what this process is about. And so, and so um, I lost my, my train of thought there for a second. But, but we, so he is... God is at work in us to make us like Jesus. God is at work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's why we're doing this series. Now, I want to point out uh, just the next scripture, which is um, uh, in Philippians. It's Philippians uh, 1, verses 3 and 6. Uh, Paul is talking to this wonderful church, and he says, I thank my God for you every time I remember you, being confident of this, that he, God, the Holy Spirit, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, that Christ Jesus returns. We've been perfected in the spirit. We are being made perfect in our souls. And this process is being done by God who began a good work in you. God has begun a good work in you. I just want you to know that. My nephew called me, uh, my, my brother's oldest boy, Daniel, called me, uh, and I have his permission to tell the story. I called him to make sure. He called me a couple months ago, and um, he said, my, my baby son, Asa, who at that time was about five, six months old, uh, born on my birthday and Lily's birthday. Lily and I share the same birthday, June 30th. Well, Asa was born on June 30th, so there are three Haney's born on the same day. Isn't that cool? And, uh, but little Asa, he's had colic or something, and he's been crying almost continuously for all these months. And Daniel said, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. And he said, Uncle Neil, he said, I just had to talk to you, you know, and he was talking to me as a pastor. He said, I've just gotten so frustrated, and I've gotten so, like, I've prayed for my son, and, and I've prayed for him to stop crying. I've prayed for whatever's wrong with him to be, the doctors don't seem to be able to find anything that's really wrong. And he just cries and cries and cries, and I'm tired, and I'm not getting any sleep, and Shannon's not getting any sleep. And he said, I just got so frustrated the other day that I just had it out. He said, I just went to God, and I just started yelling, and I started saying things that were pretty bad and even used some bad language. And he's like, he's like I just feel like I really messed up, and I just feel like I've just cut myself off from God. And I said, oh, Daniel, no. <laughs> I was like, where else are you going to go? When you hit the wall, when you've had enough, when, when you can't do anymore, when, when you can't take anymore, where else are you going to go? Are you going to take that out on your, your kids? Are you going to take it out on your wife, your people that you work with? What, what are you going to do with that stuff? Because if you stuff it, it's just going to turn into depression. If you spew it out on people, it's going to hurt the people around you. The only place that it's safe to do that is with God. 
The psalmist knew that. David knew that. Jeremiah knew that. He had an entire book called Lamentations where he just complained and complained and complained. There were psalms that David, I think it's Psalm 88, right in there, he ends the psalm with darkness is my closest friend. <laughs> That's the way he ends the psalm. He just complained, 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 and then darkness is my closest friend. I don't have any friends other than darkness, which was not true, but that's, that was where he was at, and he was honest to God. And that's where we've got to be. I said, Daniel, you, you're fine. God can handle that. He loves you. He loves Asa. It's going to be okay. So he, he called me uh, this week, and uh, I think it was Thursday morning. He said, Uncle Neil, he's like, he's like I'm, I'm, I'm over this. Asa's doing better. And um, really appreciate your prayers. But he said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of start my prayer life again. I haven't been talking to him much in the last month or two. And he's like, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, 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 to restart my prayer life. And he's like, I, do you know of an app? Or is, is there some, something that you can tell me to kind of help me? Get, <laughs> that's a millennial for you. Do you know an app that can help me get close to God? You know. Anyway. Um, so so uh, he's, he's like, do you, is there anything, can you kind of help me get my prayer life, my relationship with God kind of restarted? I feel so distant from him. I, I feel like he's mad at me. And I, I, I was like, Daniel, I, I, you just got to trust me that he's not angry with you. That's not who he is. That's not how he functions. And I said, I, he said, yeah, but I, I just feel like such a failure. And I said to him, good. I'm glad because God uses failure as much as anything to change us. He wants us to give up on our strengths. My, my, my nephew is brilliant. He's a prosecuting attorney in the town he lives in, in, in uh, Arkansas. I mean, he's a, he's a really sharp kid. Uh, you know, he, he was a great student. He, he was a great athlete. He... Uh, he, there's just nothing he seemed like he couldn't do. He was in the flesh. He had a lot of strong, strong, you know, uh, attributes. And yet here he is broken, feels like a failure, especially in his relationship with the Lord. I was like, good, because God wants us to come to the end of our own strength so that his strength can be made perfect in our weakness. And so I said, Daniel, you're in, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. Just give up on yourself. Just look to Jesus. I said, that's a huge part of your growth. We're not trying to clean up our act as much as we're just trying to look away from ourselves to to look at Jesus and to let him change us. Guys, there are things in our lives that hold us back from growth, and, and God wants to come in and get rid of those things so that Jesus has more room to express himself. He's not hindered by our strengths and our flesh and, you know, uh, our pride and those kinds of things. God wants to deal with us. He wants to bring us to the end of us so that Jesus can just live through us. And, and that's a huge part of this whole process. And so it's God's work to, to conform us to the image of Christ. And then my third point is this. We just got to cooperate. We just need to cooperate. And I know that that word isn't spelled normally with a hyphen. But I put that in there to emphasize something. First of all, the word operate, uh, I, I like that word in this, in, in this context because God is operating on us. He's the surgeon. We're the patient. So we need to be patient while he cha- works on us and changes us. 
Okay. He is the vine dresser. We are the branches. He fusses over us. He removes every branch that he moves all the, the, the fluff and the, the, the leaves and everything and cuts us back and prunes us at times so that we'll bear more fruit. He's the one who does this. We just cooperate. What does a vine do when, when the vine dresser is cutting off the useless stuff? It just sits there, right, and holds on to the vine. The same way with uh, just when you're, when you're in, under the, the surgeon's knife. You don't grab the knife and say, hey, let me help you cut that open there. You know, you just patiently let him do his work. And so we're, we're the branches. We're the patient. We just let God work on us. And our job is just to cooperate because everything about us, God created to co with us. He created us to co-rule uh, the earth. You understand that? We were created to rule the earth. He rules the universe. We rule the earth. But we co-rule with him. We're co-regents with him, so to speak. We're also co-laborers in the harvest, in discipleship, in um, just doing what God wants to do in and through his church. We co-labor with him. We are co's with him. I love that. And so we just need to cooperate with his work in his life and let him do his work. And I want to read the scripture from uh, Philippians 2.12, and I'm going to read it from Kenneth Kenneth Weiss' translation because this verse can be very misunderstood if we don't really get the... And I think this is the best translation I've read. Kenneth Weiss, he's a a New Testament scholar and a Greek scolar, and he writes this... In verse 12, wherefore, my beloved ones, as you have always obeyed, carry it to its ultimate conclusion. Carry to its ultimate conclusion your own salvation, your likeness to the lordship of Jesus or Lord Jesus with wholesome, serious caution and trembling. So what he's saying here is just let's carry on this, this whole thing. This, in the NIV, I think it is, in other translations, it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's very misleading because the two things, work out sometimes makes it sound like we're working on our salvation and we've got to do something about it. We've got to improve it and we're to do that with fear and trembling, which means that we're terrified of God and we're afraid that we're screwing up our salvation. That's what that sounds like. Where what, what he's saying is just cooperate as your salvation is being, you know, Honed and you know by the Lord because that's what, go ahead and show the next next verse. As a result, oh wait, that's not it. Uh, let, let me let me read the next verse. Um, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. It's God who wills and acts to fulfill His purpose in you. We're just cooperating with God to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I love this. Jonathan Edwards says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I love that. The only thing you contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. God is the one who saves us. And God is the one who changes us. And God is the one who conforms us and transforms us into the image of his son. And that's a process. That's a process. So we're on a journey 
to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is God's work in you. Uh, again, that verse in, in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to, to fulfill his good purpose. And we are just to cooperate with that. And I'm going to close with this story. I think besides the Gospels, the greatest story in the entire Bible is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham, the, the one who was called to, to start the, the Jewish people. Uh, his, his son Isaac was a miraculous son. He was born to a very old couple. Sarah was 91 when Isaac was born, and Abraham was 100 years old. And Abraham, God called Abraham to do a reset on the human race, and through him would come the Messiah. But his great-grandson Joseph was the favorite son of his grandson Jacob. Jacob loved, I'm about to sneeze, so if that happens, I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. And you don't have to say bless you. Um, but Jacob had 11 other sons, but he loved Joseph the best. And he made that pretty clear. <laughs> and to make it worse, Joseph actually had some dreams where God showed him that he was going to be exalted above his brothers and above his, even his father. And don't you know when he came to breakfast and told those stories, his brothers were super excited about that. They just loved Joseph, as they used to say, not. <laughs> and so at first opportunity, they sold him to a bunch of gypsies going down to Egypt and took his coat of many colors that his father had given his favorite son and put some animal blood on it and said, hey, Dad, some uh, wolves or something got, got Joseph, but he's gone. And here's his coat. Sorry about your luck. And, uh, you know, and so Joseph goes down. And so he spends a number of years as a slave in this Egyptian governor's house named Potiphar. And then Potiphar goes on a, on a trip, and Potiphar's wife kind of has the, she kind of likes Joseph. She's kind of attracted to him, and so she gets him alone and tries to get him to sleep with her and he runs away from her and she grabs his outer garment and he's running away kind of in his underwear and you know everybody sees that and Potiphar gets home and then Potiphar's wife says uh, you know he tried to take advantage of me while you were gone and so Potiphar whether he believed her or not had Joseph put in prison because that's about the only thing he could do at that point. So things are going from bad to worse for Joseph. He's had these grandiose dreams about being exalted above his brothers and his father, and now he's an ex-slave in prison. It's just going the wrong direction. And so, But you know what God is doing during those times is he is bringing Joseph to a place of humility. And he's also bringing Joseph to a place of trust because every time Joseph would get into a bad situation... God would honor him and exalt him. So he put him over Potiphar's house. And then he put him in charge of the jail while he was in jail. Like the jailer's like, dude, you're, you know, I don't know what, the, what it is about you, but there's something good about you. You're going to be my right-hand man. A couple of guys get thrown into jail. Pot, uh, Pharaoh's um, bread maker and wine bearer. And um, they both have dreams. And they tell Joseph the dreams. And he interprets them. And he says, bad news for you, baker. You're going to get hanged in a couple of days. <laughs> and good news for you, cupbearer. You're going to be exalted back to the right hand of Pharaoh to be his. Cupbearers were basically advisors. Uh, they also drank you know, the, the, the drink before Pharaoh in case someone was trying to poison him. 
you know, there was a, he was the last line of defense. And so, but the cupbearer had a very important, you know, advisory role. And so um, Joseph said, hey, cupbearer, by the way, on your way to Pharaoh, remember, get me out of this prison hole, will you? You know, I've told, I've, I've interpreted your dream. Remember me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. And the cupbearer said, sure, Joseph, that's great. Promptly forgot by the time he got back to the house, back to the, the, to the uh, palace. A couple of years go by, and Pharaoh has a dream. And it's, it's a really scary dream, and he tries to get his magicians and, and soothsayers and you know, fortune tellers and whomever else to interpret the dream, and none of them could come up with anything that satisfied Pharaoh. And so he's about to kill all of them, when the cupbearer said, wait a minute, Pharaoh, I, I remember this dude back in prison. I'll be right back. <laughs> so he goes and gets Joseph and brings him in and says, okay, Joseph, tell Pharaoh, tell Joseph what you, what you dreamed. And Joseph, you tell Pharaoh what that means. And so Pharaoh said, well, you know, there are seven really fat cows and then uh, these, these seven really scrawny, ugly, terrible, emaciated uh, cows came out and, and ate the seven good cows, came out of the Nile and ate the seven good cows. And then, then there were these seven beautiful stalks of, uh, of corn and then these really scrawny uh, stalks of corn uh, devoured the, the, the seven good stalks. And Joseph said, yeah, that's an easy one, Pharaoh. He said, the Lord has shown you that uh, there's gonna, uh, you're going to have seven years of, of just plenty in the land followed by seven years of famine. And he's like, what you need to do is you need to store up extra stuff in the seven years of plenty so that you'll have plenty in the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh's like, you know, I need somebody really wise to help me do this. How about you? (laughs) And so Joseph went from prison to palace in like a half an hour because God had prepared him. God had had worked in it. Every time you read about something going wrong with Joseph, it says, but God was with Joseph. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, whatever failure you're experiencing, whatever struggle you're going through, I just want you to know, number one, God is with you, and number two, God has a plan for you and a purpose for you, and, and, and so just hang on, hang in there, and just come and listen to Dennis and me as we walk through the process with you of spiritual growth. And it will be radical growth because as we cooperate with God, and we, there are things that we can do to cooperate with Him, and it's talked about in the book, we will radically grow into the image of Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.